before, uh, before the sermon, let me uh, remind you that we are going to have on the 15th, uh, Darcy, that's a really good look for you, I think. Who, who does your hair? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are going to have on December 15th a family meeting at which we will be talking, among other things, uh, well, actually, maybe not among other things, maybe just about the facility. Um, just to, to provide a little bit of clarification, because I know there have been some questions. Uh, this will not be an occasion on which we, the elders, come and tell you what's going on. Um, any major change to our situation here is going to involve all of us having some say in the matter and, uh, and some sort of a means of input. Um, you know, ideally, we would like for us to have consensus as a body. That's kind of how we operate, and that's how we got here. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there, is, uh, there are a number of questions people have had. We're going to try to answer them as best we can. I can ask you to pray tomorrow afternoon. I'll be down uh, meeting with some of our colleagues in the Episcopal Diocese about what uh, things could look like in terms of uh, possibility of us being down at, uh, at the facility in Catonsville. Uh, our friends in the Methodist Church are continuing to want us to stay here. And, uh, in fact, they have offered an extension of our lease to give us a little bit of breathing room. We were probably going to go ahead and take that so we don't have to worry that January 1st we don't know where we're going to be. Um, So uh, while this is something that is important and that is necessary for us to deal with, uh, there really should not be any sense of uh, emergency about it. So uh, I would encourage you to turn whatever anxiety that you are experiencing over this, and I'm telling myself this, uh, to prayer and to asking God to uh, lead us in the way we're supposed to go. And I would also encourage you, if you have questions, uh, to feel free to raise those. We may not have an answer to those, but feel free uh, to do that. I know a number of you have already contacted the elders. Any of us are more than happy to, uh, to handle uh, or to dodge any questions you might have. So, uh, but, uh, but please do plan to stick around after the service on uh, the 15th because we will uh, have some time to talk about things and hopefully we'll have a few uh, more answers at that point. Any questions about that? All right, so a couple weeks ago we had a near miss. Um, we, I, I was uh, hoping to show a clip from a movie that has a number of scenes in it that would have been really inappropriate for church. Um, so the one that got accidentally shown was only somewhat, uh, but uh, I, I have it on good authority that we have the right clip this morning. So uh, please enjoy this. <coughs> Thank you. I like what you did out there tonight. Have you ever made a recording? Oh, Mr. Lakai, Mr. Mazeltoff, that's been my dream. <laughs> he's not the one you want. I'm the one you want. I think he's the one we want. He's got a nice thing. He's not so bad with the singing and the playing and the shaking of the tukas. I think you've got what it takes to make it in the big time. The big time? When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like the hell is this? Pizza pie? What's in a pizza pie? Stop your singing this instant, young man. I will not have this in my studio. Uh, maybe it was the wrong song choice. 
If you would just let me play one of my songs that I wrote, I think you'll like it a whole lot better. You have failed conclusively. It's over. And there is nothing that you can do here in this room that can turn that around. Nothing you can do that can make up for what you just did to that Samore. Well, my mother liked it a whole lot. Your mother was wrong. <laughs> I was willing to open my mind because these Jewish gentlemen brought you in here. They usually have good taste. And now here you are in front of me, pretending you can sing. And I have to say that today, your performance has shaken my belief in the Jewish people. Uh, there's nothing I would like more, sir, than to restore your faith in Judaism right now. If you could just give me that shot. But I'll tell you, you have failed so far. And if somehow you were able to sing a song now, bringing these boys together you haven't even met, and make something so personal, so new, that the whole world takes notice, and that your life is never the same again. But I'm telling you right now, I don't think it's going to happen. Wait, 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 wait. For here already, what could it possibly hide? Well, Chaim, I'll do it for you, but just one more song. All right, son. I'm going to give you 15 more seconds. Thank you, sir. I hope you won't regret it. Dude, we don't know this song. You just follow me. Okay, that was fun. <clears throat> so let's pick it apart. <clears throat> so uh, we have this scene where we have these uh, Jewish gentlemen in the recording studio. What is it that delineates these characters as Jewish? How do we know that they're Jewish other than the fact that the dude calls them that? Yes. Because of the way they dress? Yep. Okay. What, what else? The way they speak? Right? Not, not just the accent, 
but also the manner of speaking. Yep. Some of you are doing this thing, which means you're referring to the peos, the, the long uh, hair that's not supposed to be trimmed from the temples. Yes? What else? Their names. Yeah, anybody remember what their names are? Mazeltov and Lachaim. Yes, anybody know what Mr. Mazeltov is? That's, congratulations, yes, right? And, and Lachaim is, is to life. That's basically cheers. That's prost. Yeah. Um, what, what else? How else do we know? Yes, Marlene. I didn't see any of those in the movie. Uh, yeah, no, we're just talking about in this clip. Uh, you, you, you go down to Goldberg's, lots of Gentiles are eating that stuff too. Uh, yes, Steve. Yeah, the dancing is another thing, yes. Yeah, this, this dancing. So um, the reason I show this clip, not just because it's a riot, and the, the whole movie is too, although it's really not appropriate for children. Uh, what does he say? The, the, the studio engineer says, you have caused me to lose my faith, you've shaken my faith in the Jewish people. And what does Dewey Cox say in return? He says, sir, there's nothing I would like better than to restore your faith in Judaism. <laughs> and so that raises the question of what the relationship is between the Jewish people and Judaism, and for that matter, Israel, as we have been finding the word popping up over and over again in our passage here in Romans, and for that matter, the Holy One of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is one's faith supposed to be in the Jewish people in the first place, or in Judaism in the first place. Paul does tell us at the beginning of Romans, as you recall, that not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. As we've seen over the last few weeks, Paul has raised here in Romans chapter 9 a whole bunch of knotty questions. Questions about how we can trust God and his word. How we can be sure that God is in fact working out his sovereign purposes if he doesn't do the things we expect and if he does things that we don't expect, what is the nature of this God, this one true God of Israel? What is the nature of his people? How do you become one of his people? How do you make sure you still are one of his people? Is that something that can be forfeited? Is that something that can be lost? Is that something that can be gained? And so here at the end of chapter Nine, he says, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have somehow obtained it. A righteousness that is by faith, or perhaps by God's faithfulness. And that Israel, though pursuing a law of righteousness, or perhaps by pursuing the righteous Torah, did not attain to it. And why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, 
but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Here again we have Paul citing the prophets. Let's go back and see what is going on in these passages in Isaiah. This is first is Isaiah chapter 28. I'll start in verse 5. That day, Yahweh, the God of angel armies, will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of his people. He'll be a spirit of justice to the one who sits in judgment, a source of strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. These also stagger from wine and reel from beer. Priests and prophets stagger from beer. They're befuddled with wine. They reel from beer, they stagger when seeing visions, they stumble when rendering decisions. All the tables are covered with vomit, there's not a spot without filth. Who is it he's trying to teach? To whom is he explaining his message? To children weaned from their milk, to those just taken from the breast. For it is do and do, do and do, rule on rule, rule on rule, a little here, a little there. Very well then, with foreign lips and strange tongues. God will speak to this people to whom he said, this is the resting place, let the weary rest, and this is the place of repose, but they wouldn't listen. So then the word of Yahweh to them will become, do and do, do and do, rule and rule, rule and rule, a little here, a little there, so that they will go and fall back on their asses, be injured and snared and captured. Therefore hear the word of Yahweh, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. You boast, we've entered into a covenant with death, with a grave we've made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it can't touch us, for we've made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. So this is what the Lord Yahweh says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who trusts will never be dismayed. I'll make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the grave will not stand. And when the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you will be beaten down by it. This is prophecy that God is given to a people who are quite confident that they have things figured out, that they are God's people, that they are entirely safe, and that the things that they are being told are those things that they expected to hear. It seems that in this passage the prophet is mocking false prophets. You may have heard line upon line, precept upon precept, given as a guide to Bible study. I'm going to break something to you. That's not what that means. This is a passage where that idea, that phraseology is actually mocked. This is mocked as false words of false prophets. And so the one to whom God here is speaking is the scoffers, the rulers of the people in Jerusalem. They think that they have got their stuff together. We've entered into a covenant with death, with the grave. We've made an agreement. When an overwhelming scourge 
sweeps by it, can't touch us. And this is probably ironic. We've made a lie, our refuge, and falsehood, our hiding place. They probably were saying we've made a promise, our refuge, and truth, our hiding place. But God's saying this is not remotely the case. Not at all. What this is, is a false confidence and a false understanding of the one true God. And so here in Isaiah 28, the ones who are spoken to are these rulers. But then back in Isaiah chapter 8, which is the other place from which Paul cobbles his Old Testament references, Citation from the prophets, we read here in chapter 8, Yahweh spoke to me again, also Isaiah, because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels, run over all its banks, and sweep on into Judah, swirling over it passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. Yahweh spoke to me with a strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the way of this people. He said, don't call conspiracy everything these people call conspiracy. Don't fear what they fear. Don't dread it. Yahweh of hosts is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And he will be a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble. They'll fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Again, here's a place where you may have read this and thought this was the kind of thing you ought to highlight and look at as some true statement. But here in verses 9 and 10, this is trash talk. This is Israelite smack talk from people who are about to get smacked down. They think, well, God is with us. He's our people. He's our God. We're his people. But God is saying, no, not if they have rejected me, not if they have turned away. Actually, what's going to happen as God is going to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river, the king of Assyria with all his pomp. The nation is about to be overrun, their kings overthrown. As we talked about last week, this is a prophecy given prior to the fall of the northern kingdom to Assyria. And so here, when God lays a stone that makes men stumble, rock that makes them fall. 
which for the people of Jerusalem will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble, they'll fall and be broken, they'll be snared and captured. Here, he's not just talking about the rulers of the people stumbling or the false prophets staggering around drunkenly, the wicked, unrighteous judges tripping over their robes. Here he says it's the residents of Jerusalem. It's both houses. All the people will be the ones doing the stumbling. Well, what is this rock over which they stumble? Does anybody have any idea what the answer to that question could be? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think this is this is messianic. Jesus himself picks up this imagery here. He's quoting from a psalm, not from Isaiah, but he, he picks this up when he is disputing in Jerusalem. This is Matthew chapter 21, in, starting in verse 23. Jesus entered, entered the temple courts and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. Who gave you this authority? Where do you come off teaching and preaching here at the temple? Jesus replied, All right, let me ask you one question. You answer me. I'll tell you. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or was it from men? They discussed it among themselves. They said, well, if we say from heaven, he'll say, well, then why didn't you believe it? But if we say from men, eh, it's not going to go over so well with the crowd because they think John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said, Psyche, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. Which didn't really build the relationship between him and them. What do you think, he goes on. There's a man who had two sons. He went to the first one. He said, son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. And the father went to the other son. He said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir, but did not go. So which of the two did what the father asked? But first, they answered. Jesus said to him, said to them, I tell you the truth. The tax collectors, the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors, the colluders with the Roman Empire, and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, even after you saw this, you didn't repent and believe him. Listen, here's another parable. There's a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers. He went away on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them. More than the first time, the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. Well, they'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, Oh, this is the heir. Well, let's kill him. We'll take his inheritance. 
So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of that vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He'll bring those wretcheds to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give them a share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, Jesus says to the chief priests and the elders of the people, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, and he on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. And they looked for a way to arrest him. They were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Who's doing the stumbling here? According to Paul, who's doing the stumbling is Israel. And from these passages he's quoting in Isaiah, that means not just the rulers of the people, not just the wicked, corrupt judges and false prophets, but it's everybody, everybody in both houses, who have placed their trust in a covenant that they are not upholding. Who is doing the stumbling? Israel is doing the stumbling. What that means, we're going to spend months working out. But I think it is clear that what Paul is saying here is that Israel, though pursuing righteous Torah, has not attained to it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. What kind of works? What does he mean by works? That we are also going to spend months working out. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. That, again, I think Paul has given us clearly. The stumbling stone is Jesus of Nazareth, Israel's Messiah, the one whom God lay in Zion. Cause people to stumble. It's a rock that makes them fall. But the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I can tell you from personal experience, stumbling and falling are embarrassing. And so if somebody is trusting in God, then that Messiah is not going to be a cause stumbling or of offense. But to the others, they'll trip over it every time. I realize that over the last month or so, I have left a whole lot more threads dangling than tied up. We are going through Romans chapters 9 through 11. This was just chapter 9, and in many ways, 
In chapter 9, Paul is throwing out a whole lot of the issues that he is going to be working to tie up over 10 and 11. So in some ways, what I want is to press us to see the gravity of these questions and to see the difficulty of them, but also to see the places where Paul is clear. The next couple of weeks, we'll have some special guests that will give us a little different perspective on some parts of this passage, and then during Advent, we'll be looking at Jeremiah's messianic prophecies, and I think as we will see, what Jeremiah has to say in some of those has a lot to do with how we understand these questions that Paul is raising. But for now, even as our heads are spinning, we once again with confidence approach the throne of grace, and we eat of our Lord Jesus' body and blood and faith. So as we prepare to take communion together, will you please stand with me as we, repeat, uh, we recite the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come. Amen. I'll invite you to come forward and...